0: Well, good morning again. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29 this morning. If you're using the black Bibles that were in the back room there, um, or at the back of the auditorium there, it can be found on page 830, Matthew chapter 24. Um, we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings, and, and that study has brought us to... Um, chapter 24, um, and last week we studied verses 4 through 28, so today we're ready to begin and we're going to uh, consider verses 29 through 41 today. So that's on page 830. If, if you're able, would you please stand once again for the reading of God's Word? You can just follow along as I, as I read. Let's hear the Word of God together. Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Let me start you off with a question this morning. Kind of of trivia question, I guess. What live event in history has been viewed by the most people? Anybody want to take a guess? What live event in history has been viewed by the most people? Yeah, sure. Um, those both made the top ten according to, according to Wikipedia, my thorough research here. But those are kind of toward the, toward the end. Those are both around 600 million people viewed those. Um, no, I don't think that was even on here, but. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, they may have overlooked that one, but. Uh, now, according to this, believe it or not, it was Michael Jackson's memorial service. They, they estimate between two and a half and three billion people viewed that. Um, The funeral of Princess Diana was around two billion. So, anyway, the reason I started us off that way is the Bible tells us that there is an event coming in the future that will be viewed by every single person on the planet. And while you may not care about um, weddings or funerals or sporting events or pop stars, you know, to where you would have been viewing these, the event that the Bible tells us about, this future event, is going to have massive implications for every single person. And of course, I'm referring to the event of the the return of Christ, His second coming. The Lord Jesus Christ, the the eternal Son of God, came uh, first. He came humbly uh, around 2,000 years ago uh, to be born of a virgin. He lived as as a man, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life and then um, died on the cross in the place of sinners as a sacrifice for sin. He rose again and ascended into heaven where he reigns from the Father's right hand now, and the Bible says that he is coming again. But his second coming is going to be very different than his first coming was, and that's what we're going to see from the the passage today. There is a day fixed, Jesus says, a day fixed in the future when he will return and he will bring in God's final judgment against sinners, God's Full wrath against sin is going to be poured out on his enemies, on all those who do not know him, all those who have not embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that will lead to their everlasting punishment. But at the same time, his coming is going to be a time when he gathers his own, when he gathers those who are in Christ, when he gathers those who by God's grace have turned from their sins and embraced him as Lord and Savior. He's going to gather them to himself and we'll explain the details of that as we, as we go through the passage. But though we'll, all the saints, all the Christians will be gathered together and will enter into the joys of the new heavens and the new earth. And so we're in the midst, like I said earlier, of Matthew 24. And, and really chapters 24 and 25 together form what is called the Olivet Discourse. It's an important teaching that Jesus gave from the Mount of Olives, hence the name. And if you remember, if you were here with us uh, last week, I believe it was, we saw what what sparked this teaching was the fact that, that Jesus had left the temple, and as he left, he, had, he declared that um, very soon, within that generation, that the temple itself was going to be destroyed. And so that sparked the question then in, from his disciples in verse 3. they They came to him privately on the Mount of Olives, which was just... To the east of the temple, and said, "Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age." And remember, they they were when they heard Jesus predict that the temple was going to be destroyed and that Jerusalem was going to be conquered. They thought that was would be the end of the age. They thought that must be. I mean, because the temple was so central to their to their um, religion, to their covenant with the with God. That they thought the destruction of the temple must be the same must signal the end of the world, really, right? And so they're asking about this. They thought it was all one event, but Jesus in this chapter is explaining, no, those are actually going to be two separate events. And as we talked about last time, the the destruction of the temple would come within that generation. It would come um, at the year AD seventy, when the Roman general Titus led the Romans in and, and, and leveled the temple, destroyed Jerusalem, killed most of the Jews. Thankfully, many of the believers had heeded Jesus' warning and had fled. And so then Jesus is in the midst of explaining, um, answering really the disciples' question. But remember, this is a, a little bit of a tricky passage because... Um, the, the, the destruction of, of Jerusalem, the, the destruction of the temple, was like a foretaste of the final judgment. So they're two separate events, but they are connected. And so some of the, the signs and things that, that, that point to the one are also going to then be pointing to the other. Okay. And so what we discovered last week is that Jesus is saying there's going to be a delay before the end. And in verses 4 through 28, he described um, just this general period between his two comings. They call it the inner advent period. Between his first coming and you know, subsequent ascension into heaven and his second coming, in other words, all the generations of believers are going to be experiencing these things. They're going to be experiencing wars and rumors of wars. They're going to be experiencing famines and earthquakes. They're going to be experiencing persecution. They're going to be experiencing um, uh, cost, for following Christ. But yet in the midst of that. The gospel is going to be going forth to the nations. Right. So that was encouraging. And so it was within that, that, that description. Verses 4 through 28. Of, of this of this inner advent period. That he, he described that birth pains. He says. You know. It's there, going to be tribulation. He described it as tribulation. Right. A lot of these things are going to be uncomfortable. For, for believers especially. Right. Because we live in a fallen world. And so not only do we have creation itself groaning under the curse of sin, but we have the fact that, that this fallen world is against Christ and against his followers. And so again, there's persecution and, and, and suffering. So that's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be birth pains, but it doesn't mean that the end is here yet. He's saying there's, there's going to be a delay. It's, it's leading up to the end. And then in verses 15 through 21, he described a, a, a specific... Uh, difficult birth pain, and that was the fall of Jerusalem, and we we described that. That was one particularly violent display of judgment, and again, that serves as kind of like a foretaste of the final judgment that is to come. And so now as we move into verse 29, we are moving into a, a, a different section because now Jesus is specifically teaching on his return, on the end of the age, on his second coming, Okay, so that's what the sermon is about today. It's about the the return of Christ. It's about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to go through verses 29 through, through 41 under four headings this morning. I'll spend the most time on the first and then we'll cover the last three rather quickly. So heading number one is the awesomeness of Christ's coming. And I looked it up, that is a word by the way. The awesomeness of Christ's coming. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Okay, let's stop there. Those days, immediately after the tribulation of those days. What's he talking about? He's talking about those days of that sustained persecution. Verses 4 through 28, those days, immediately after those days of of, of this ongoing chaos and creation, of, of persecution against Christians, of just living as believers in a fallen world, immediately after those days, this tribulation during the inner advent period, he says there's going to be something um, even more intense start to happen. Right? He says, the the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens themselves will be shaken. So it's kind of like what we saw last week, you know, that happens for every generation of believers. Every generation has natural disasters. Every generation has persecution. But it's kind of like all those things are going to be ramped up. They're going to be ratcheted up right before Christ's return. And so verse 29 says, the, again, these celestial signs. I mean, it's like the very, very heavens themselves are, are in turmoil, are in chaos, right? Sun being darkened, moon not giving light, stars falling, powers of the heavens shaken. The celestial pho- phenomenon is going to accompany Christ's return. And so it's a, think of how terrifying that's going to be, to be seeing these things take place. And it, it reminds us of Colossians 1 when it speaks of how Jesus, all things were made uh, for him and through him and how Christ himself holds this world together by his powerful word. And so it's, it's, it seems like as I study Matthew 24, it's, it's almost as if Christ is removing his sustaining care, allowing creation to just literally kind of unravel here at the seams right before he returns and brings its, its final redemption. And so all this devastation culminates then with the return of Christ in verse thirty, right? So verse twenty nine kind of set the scenes, uh, the scene I should say of this of this celestial chaos, and then verse thirty says, "Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man." Right, Son of Man is is Jesus. Coming comes from Daniel seven. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So again, if you can imagine the chaos, this, this, this unraveling of, of the celestial beings, it's like it's going to culminate. It's going to kind of be the, the red carpet that, that rolls in for the coming, the return of Christ. The coming of the Son of Man. When it says the sign of the Son of Man, I take that as just literally His appearing. The appearing of the Son of Man. And just to be clear, this is the literal bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think back to Acts chapter 1, right, which is... is, you know, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again for 40 days he, in his risen, glorified body. He's been teaching the disciples about the kingdom of, of, of heaven, right? And then what happens in Acts chapter 1 when he's with his disciples? He's taken up into heaven. And before their very eyes, he ascends into heaven, into the clouds, and, and he's no more. And they're kind of looking and wondering what's going on. And remember, a couple of angels appear to them, Acts chapter 1. And they say, um, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So it's like you just saw him leave bodily and he's going to return literally bodily from heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus is describing here in Matthew twenty-four thirty. On the day of his return, people will see Jesus for who he really is. Remember, as we've studied the Gospel of Matthew, we know that his glory, the glory of the eternal Son of God, has been mainly veiled, right? It's been veiled in humanity because he, fully God, but he became fully man, right? And, and so they, uh, his, his disciples and, and some of the others have seen glimpses of that glory through miracles, and, of course, the, the three disciples saw him up on the Mount of Transfiguration. when It's, it's like his humanity was, was um, they got to peek behind the curtain, so to speak, right, and see his glory. Well, now when he returns, all will see his glory. Just as we, as we sang this morning, he's coming again in power and great glory. Because they're going to see Jesus for who he really is. And again, he says, the sign of the Son of Man. And then he says, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Excuse me. He's using the language of Daniel 7. Remember, the Son of Man is this, it describes the Ancient of Days. That's God the Father. And then the Son of Man is this kingly figure to whom the Ancient of Days gives all authority and power and says, you're going to reign forever and ever. And it describes him, this kingly figure, then coming with great power and coming in the clouds. Coming with great authority because he is God himself. And his authority is from the Ancient of Days. And so, again, it's interesting to think about the contrast between Christ's two comings, isn't it? When he came the first time, he came as a lowly and humble servant. And many didn't see his glory because of their unbelief, right? And the Apostle John says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. But because of many's, many people's unbelief, they didn't see his glory. Even though he taught with authority and even though he was living a perfect life and, and was, was literally um, exegeting, <laughs> John says, God to them. They're, they're um, they were blinded and didn't see it. But when he comes the second time, it won't be as a, humbly, as a humble servant. It won't be as a babe born to a virgin to a poor family in a, in a manger. No. It's going to be in, with power and great glory. So it's going to be undeniable. Everybody's going to see his glory. Everybody's going to see Jesus for who he really is. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. That matches what what Jesus just said in verse 30, doesn't it? That all the tribes of, uh, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Again, just pick, try to picture that in your mind's eye. What's it going to be like for Jesus to return and everybody to see him all at once for who he is? It's, it's going to be awesome, literally awesome. It's going to produce fear and awe. And that's their reaction, right? Again, Revelation 1-7 said, all the tribes of the earth will wail. Verse 30 here in Matthew 24 says, the tribes of the earth will mourn. And one commentator I read said, (laughs) uh, Christians are going to weep with joy, right? We're going to be weeping because our faith has become sight, Think of what that's going to be like. Our resurrected eyes, right? The dead in Christ will rise. We'll read that in 1 Thessalonians 4. Our resurrected eyes will see Jesus for who he really is. We'll finally behold him, not as a glass dimly, but but for who he really is. Our Lord and Savior, the one who died for us. The one who called us to himself. The one who's been faithful to walk walk with us through this fallen world. We're going to behold him. And so we'll be weeping with joy. But those who have rejected him are going to be wailing in terror. They're going to be wailing in sorrow because it's going to be crystal clear. They're going to finally realize who he really is. They're going to realize, oh, wow, Jesus is, in fact, Lord. Jesus is, in fact, King. Jesus is, in fact, God. I'm going to have to bow before him. And so they're going to realize who he is, but it's going to be too late at that point. Their fate is going to be sealed. Another passage to jot down from Revelation here. Revelation chapter 6 verses 15 through 17 says this. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. This is talking about the return of Christ. Calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Think about that. At the return of Christ, at the sight of King Jesus and all His glory, many are wailing because they know they are doomed. They know they will soon face His judgment. Why? Because they did not embrace Him as King and Savior here on earth. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Interesting. Those who do not obey the gospel—the gospel is good news. It's a proclamation, but it's good news that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and so it's news that demands a response. The reason it's good news is that right now, but before He returns, there's forgiveness. King Jesus is a, is a merciful and loving and forgiving king. And though we've all sinned against him, and though we, we all, in our sinful, rebellious hearts, we, we want to go our own way and we don't give him the, the praise and the honor and submission he deserves, he's, he's, he offers forgiveness. He declares forgiveness for all who, who repent and turn from their sins and embrace him as Lord through faith. And so it is good news. But I'm always struck by that passage in 2 Thessalonians. It's it's news, it's a proclamation that is to be obeyed. Because 2 Thessalonians says he's inflicting vengeance on those who did not obey the gospel. They didn't respond to the fact that Jesus is Lord. They stayed in their sin. They stayed in... They said, I'm going to keep living for myself. I don't want to live for Jesus. And so for them, they're going to wail because, again, their doom is sure. Revelation 20 says that everyone who dies without Christ as their Savior is thrown into the lake of fire where they will face everlasting punishment. And so the return of Christ He's going to divide all humanity into two camps. Those Christians and non-Christians. Those who turned in, in this life turned from their sins, trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, followed Him by God's grace, and those who didn't. And so when Christ returns, He's going to judge His enemies, those who didn't follow Him, and verse 31 of our text says He's going to gather His own all right, so are you tracking with me? He, he's, we, every eye sees him appearing in, in great glory, coming from heaven down. People are seeing, they're realizing who Jesus really is. They're responding, many in, in terror and sorrow for, the, for having rejected him. But those of us who are longing for his return, right? those who by God's grace have believed in him, what we're gathered to him verse 31 says and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect right those chosen before the foundation of the world those who by God's grace were given the new birth and trusted in Christ as their savior he will gather his elect from the four winds from the from one end of heaven to the other the four winds a way of talking about the four corners of the earth the four corners of a compass from all over when Christ returns the elector gathered from all over the world. A parallel passage is 1 Thessalonians 4. You might want to turn there. It's, it's a very encouraging passage. 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll give you the page number if you're using the Black Bibles. Page 987. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. And, of course, in 13, you know, he tells us why he's, he's uh, explaining this to them right now. The, the, the Christians at Thessalonica were concerned. Well, what's, what's happening to our, what, what's going to happen to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who have already died? And so in verse 13, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have already died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when a Christian dies, their body is buried, but their soul is is immediately in the presence of the Lord, in paradise. And so when Jesus comes, he's bringing all the saints back, those who have already died, those who have already been with him in paradise. He's bringing the saints back. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he's bringing back the souls of those who've already died. Raised, their bodies are raised in glorified bodies, the reunited body and soul, and then believers who are alive at the coming of Christ are instantly transformed into glorified bodies. That's our resurrection, so to speak. Then we who are alive, verse 17, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. There's the gathering that Jesus is talking about, right? We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What a day that will be, loved ones. Right? Because again, like, we, like, like Jesus has been saying, this is a period of toil. This is a period of tribulation. This is a period of birth pains. Even though we, we know the joy of, of knowing our sins are forgiven, we have the joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit, our down payment for our future resurrection, it's still, life is hard, Right? And we enjoy fellowship with him, but we, but we still battle our own sin. And, and, and it, you know, but on that day, all of that's going to go away. All that sin's going to be done with once and for all. And we'll enjoy perfect fellowship with him in perfect glorified bodies. No more pain, no more sinful hearts, no more wandering minds. We'll be able to fully focus on the Lord and, and fellowship with him forever with all the saints. And so no wonder, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Let us be encouraged by the fact that Jesus is coming again. Yes, we see life um, kind of going down the tube, so to speak, in, in our country, morally speaking, right? And we grieve and we, we seek to be salt and light and we want to uh, proclaim the good news and, and we believe Jesus can certainly make a difference in, in, in a community through saving people. But regardless of how the direction of the country goes or regardless of how the moral fabric unravels, we know that's not the end of the story. That Jesus is coming again and he's going to make right every wrong. And he's going to fully fix everything that sin has broken. And so be encouraged. Encourage one another with these words. And think about it. We're going to get front row seats to this. We're going to get front row seats to witness Jesus eradicating sin. Front row seats to witness Jesus making everything new. The return of Christ is going to be awesome. Again, it's one of those things that's going to be, it's hard to fully comprehend how awesome it's going to be. But we'll all see it. We won't miss it. His power and might will be so awesome that every eye will see him and his return will elicit a response, either joy or terror. For Christ will gather his own to eternal life and the rest of humanity he will judge and cast into the eternal lake of fire. And so we need to be ready. And that's where Jesus is going with really in the rest of the chapter is be ready. Be ready for Christ's return. Be ready. So that was the first heading. Like I said, that will be our longest one. The awesomeness of Christ's coming. Number two, the nearness of Christ's coming. Verse 32. Jesus here in verses 32 and 33 really just gives kind of a quick illustration. I think some of the other gospel writers call it a parable. Verse 32. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out, put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Simple enough, right? When you see a fig tree start to grow leaves, you know that it's springtime. You know that warm weather is right around the corner. Summer is near. Likewise, Jesus says, when you see all these things, know that he is near. That Christ is near. Again, these things, I take it to refer to the, the general tribulation of verses 4 through 28. The, when, when you're seeing these things, know that he is near. It can't, uh, to me, it doesn't make sense. You know, it can't mean what he's just talking about, him coming on the clouds. Obviously, he's near. He's there. <laughs> he's arrived. So he's saying, when you see these things, know that he is near. And You say, well, what what does all that mean? You said those are happening in every generation. Yes. This is what we talk about the imminent return of Christ. That, That Christ could come at any time. Because, and here, especially when we think about Matthew 24, we think about these two key events the fall of Jerusalem, the return of Christ. The fact that Jesus has already come the first time, right, as the prophets predicted, and, and, and his people were longing and waiting for, and then the fact that as he predicted, Jerusalem fell, and when I say predicted, I should say foretold, right, as he foretold, Jerusalem fell, temple destroyed, the fact that that's already happened, the fact that the gospel is going forth, the fact that we, we see wars and rumors of wars, the fact that we have natural chaos, the fact that we have persecution. Everything is, has happened that needs to happen before the return of Christ. In other words, the next major event in God's plan of redemption is the return of Christ. And that's why when you see that the apostles preaching in the book of Acts, they, they talk about we're living in the last days. Now again, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, right? So none of us know when, and Jesus is going to say that in this very passage, none of us know when he's going to come. But the next event on God's calendar in redemptive history is the return of Christ. And so every generation needs to be Ready? And we'll talk about that more next week, Lord willing. So the stage is set. The next major act in this drama is the return of Christ. Praise God. I mean, we're so blessed to live in the new covenant, by the way, right? For many reasons, right? You know, the indwelling Holy Spirit, we truly know God, we've been made new creations. Christ has already come, and so now we're waiting for his return. Forgiveness of sins, so many blessings, what a what a time for us to be alive. Third heading, right? We've talked about the awesomeness of Christ's return, the nearness of Christ's coming, thirdly, the certainty of Christ's coming. Verse thirty four. The certainty of Christ's coming. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now again, the, I understand this passage is is tricky. Um, and this whole passage is tricky, and this is one of the verse in particular that has tripped people up. This generation was Jesus mistaken? Did he did he think he was coming back in their generation and now he hasn't and so he was wrong? Did he somehow already return and we all missed it? No. Remember, these things refers to, the, to verses 4 through 28. If you're consistent in, in, your, in your understanding of that, it, the passage does make sense. Those days, these things, refers to 4 through 28, just this general tribulation period that happens in between his, his two comings. The birth pains, including Jerusalem's fall. So really, when you look at verse 34, all that it demands is that the the tribulation of verses 4 through 28, including the fall of Jerusalem, happen within the lifetime of the the generation of the original hearers. And all those things did happen. Right? When Jesus said that to to his disciples, to the apostles, it was just a little over 30 years before Jerusalem fell. And you can go back in history and look at Josephus and, and some of those other historians, and you see that... Those same characteristics were all present. There were false Christs, there were false prophets, there were wars, there were famines, there were earthquakes. So that those characteristics have all happened in his generation, in that first generation. They saw all those things. They saw the gospel spread across the known world. They saw the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And so verse 34 says the return of Christ cannot happen until those events take place and those would all would take place to some degree or another within a generation and they did. So again, the next thing on the, on the, on the list here is the return of Christ. Those things continue to happen for every generation. Every generation experiences false teaching um, persecution, gospel spreading, calamities. But it, in God's perfect timing, some generation will experience the return of Christ. It could be ours. We need to be ready. Verse 36 says, No one knows. Only the Father knows when that will happen. But we need to be ready. It's going to happen. And again, I call this the certainty of Christ's coming because everything Jesus said would happen has been happening. And so again, the fall of Jerusalem not only serves as kind of like this foreshadowing, like a preview of what the final judgment would be like, but it also should validate the fact that Christ is going to return. In other words, if, if Jesus had said, hey, you know, not one stone's going to be on this, on this temple, you know, and then that never happened, then it'd be kind of like, whoa, Jesus, you know, you got that wrong. But it did happen. And so it just shows the certainty of all his words. And of course, we know he, he is the son of God. He cannot lie. And so we, we know for certain that Christ is coming again. And again that believers have dealt with that, right? And that that was in our scripture reading, right? People saying, "Oh, it's scoffers. Oh, where's where's the promise of his coming?" <laughs> things are getting pretty bad. Things might get worse for, for believers. You know, I mean, it's happening even now around the world, right? Persecution. But even here in the West that it, things might get worse. And we're going to be crying out, how long, O Lord, and longing for his return. But it doesn't mean that God's not keeping his promises. He is. In his perfect timing. He's never late. And Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. God's word said that Jerusalem would fall, and it fell. And God's word said, Jesus' word said, that he's going to return, and he'll return. So lastly, then, the fourth heading. We've had the awesomeness, the nearness, the certainty of Christ's coming. Fourth, and finally, the suddenness of Christ's coming. Verse 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Another verse that's caused a lot of discussion. (laughs) Right, what did did Jesus mean that He didn't know? Isn't He God? Well, again, there's there's a mystery. I mean, let me just say this points again to His incarnation and the fact His incarnation. There's a mystery to that, but a real incarnation was Jesus really taking on humanity, always fully God but also taking on full humanity. And it was also him submitting himself, submitting the the exercise of his divine attributes. He didn't empty himself of those, but he just submitted those to the will of the Father. And so Jesus could say at that time, "I I don't know, only the Father knows. Now I reckon that Jesus knows now. Now that he's in heaven and glorified, I reckon he knows when he's coming. But what he's saying here is he didn't know. But the point is, we shouldn't be worrying about and trying to figure out what exact day is he going to be coming. We just need to be ready. That's the point. That's the point. Because he's going to return. It's certain. You need to be ready. Why? Because it's going to be sudden. It's going to be sudden. That's what he's illustrating here in verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Of course, Genesis 6-9 through 9 talks about... Noah, the account of Noah, Uh, he lived in a very wicked time, and and God revealed to Noah that he was going to judge mankind by sending a worldwide flood. And so to prepare for this, God told Noah to build a great ark, to prepare for that coming judgment. Noah was to be building the ark, and not only that, but he was preaching, (laughs) preaching. 1 Peter 2 tells us that, 1 Peter 2, 5. He was a preacher of righteousness. So he's building the ark, but at the same time, he's proclaiming to the people that judgment is coming, that God was going to bring a great judgment, that they needed to flee God's coming wrath, that they needed to to avail themselves of the salvation that God had provided, was providing through this ark. But the people of Noah's day rejected his preaching. They ignored his warnings. They even mocked Noah. They couldn't understand a, a man preparing for a future event that they've never experienced before. And so what, instead, they're, they're like, go ahead, Noah. You're, you're a fool. And they went on just about life. They went on just eating and drinking and marrying not necessarily sinful things, right? But the point is they weren't prepared, prepared for the judgment to come. Those are normal activities, but they're so engaged in those activities that they don't prepare for God's coming judgment. And that's such a danger today as well. Our neighbors, our co-workers are spending their days doing what? Working, socializing, going to their kids' ball games, all the while ignoring Jesus Christ and ignoring the coming judgment. Ignoring the the fact that there is a day coming when Christ will return and pour out God's judgment on this world. And so... The answer is, you've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. Think about preparing. People prepare for other things, don't they? Those on the coast, you know, if a hurricane's coming, they board up their windows, right? If you have an event, a, a, a birthday party, a wedding, or whatever, oh, man, all kinds of preparations go into that. But so many people fail to prepare for the most important thing, Christ's return. They don't prepare by forsaking their sin and by running to Christ. Either they think it's not going to happen or they think, well, I'll just have to stand on my own merits that day. None of us will be able to stand in our own merits that day. Our only hope is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ through faith. And so sadly, we know, just as in Noah's day, that's what Jesus is saying. The day of his return is going to catch many people unprepared. For many of them, they're going to be business as usual. And then suddenly, Jesus is going to appear in great glory and judgment, and they won't be ready. And by then, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. further illustrate that verse 40 then two men will be in the field one will be taken and one left two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one left so again it's it's showing a couple of things one immediate separation right like i said earlier all of humanity divided into two groups those who are in Christ through faith those who are not Two in the field, all of a sudden one's taken, one's left. Two women working together, all of a sudden one's taken, one's left. Christ's sudden return brings immediate separation. Even between closely related people, those who work together, those who are probably of the same family. Now again, I know that these verses, it makes you wonder like, okay, well who, <laughs> who are, they, are the ones taken? Are they taken up to be with the Lord? Are the ones left, left for judgment? The text really isn't clear. The Greek could be taken either way. But it doesn't matter. What is clear is that Christ's return is going to happen suddenly. And it's going to bring a great separation. And once again, that's why the Bible tells us to be ready. Be ready for King Jesus' return. Make sure you are one of his through repentance and faith. Just like the flood, God's judgment will bring total destruction. None of Christ's enemies will be able to withstand his return. They're all going to be destroyed and ushered into eternal punishment. So just to wrap this all up, what we've seen today. King Jesus will come. King Jesus is coming again. And the return of His coming, the return of Christ, I should say, the return of Christ is going to be awesome, the return of Christ is is near, the return of Christ is certain, and the, the return of Christ will be sudden. And so I close with this simple question. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready for the return of King Jesus? Of Lord Jesus so many people are not ready because they've missed the significance of his first coming. They think maybe they think he died on the cross. Maybe they think he rose again. Maybe they think it was just an example of love or whatever, but they've not grasped the significance of the fact that he was purchasing the salvation that I desperately need. Jesus willingly laid down his life for sinners and he's powerfully taken it up again in glory. He has defeated sin and death and Satan. He's reigning now from the Father's right hand. He was more than just a good teacher. He was more than just a kind man. He is God in the flesh and he is Lord of all. And he he has come and he has inaugurated his kingdom as we've seen throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And so now, through faith and repentance, you may enter into his kingdom and you may experience his salvation. And you need to enter, you need to find in in him that safety from God's coming judgment. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. So be ready. And if I can help anybody be ready today, I'd be happy to talk with you more about it after service. But again, believers, those of you who by grace are already in Christ, be encouraged. Take, keep that song sheet that we, we had in our bulletin today. He is coming again. I love those verses, right? Lift up your heads, pilgrims are weary. Right? We get weary, don't we? Going through th- this fallen world and and, and dealing with our own, the own battle between our, our, our sinful flesh and the Spirit. But lift up your heads, pilgrims of weary. See days approach, now crimson the sky. Night shadows flee, and your beloved awaiting with longing at last drawing nigh. So let us keep longing and, and looking for his return because he is coming again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Thank you for Jesus giving such um, really clear teaching to prepare us for his return. Father, we know that we we desperately need your grace to work through our unbelief, to open our eyes to this truth, to give us... um, Really, a sense of a desperate sense of our our bankruptcy, of to to show us our sin, to really show us how we're 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 lost and 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 helpless before you, totally dependent on your mercy. So I pray, Lord, that even through the preaching and through your Word, you would you would um, convict people today. I pray that you would. Give them a, a holy fear of you. I pray that we would all think about what it's going to be like to stand before you one day. To see you in your power and glory and what it, what it would be like to still be your enemy on that day. And God, through that, through that fear, may that lead to, to faith. Lord, right now, may you be um, producing faith. Give people the new birth through your grace, we pray. And, and help us, Lord, as, as your people who are already saved by your grace. Lord, help us to be, be encouraged. Help us to not lose sight. Help us to not just think that, and get caught, so caught up in the day-to-day drudgery that we forget where all this is headed. Help us to be longing for your return. Help us to be holy, hastening your return. Help us to be serving you in your kingdom and pleading with others to, to be saved before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's Stand, please, and we'll respond in one more song of worship.